We're stepping away from our typical discussions about leadership and influence to consider another important topic. Here are a couple of warnings. The first is that this will be five to six minutes longer than previous episodes. The second is a trigger warning. We'll be talking about abuse and trauma. If those issues are uncomfortable to you, know that we don't intend to bring you emotional harm. In fact, the opposite is true. Our desire is that this episode will bring to you some of the hope and healing you need to survive and overcome your experience, whether it's in your past or it's in your present. Welcome to our podcast. I'm your host, Rick Shields, and I'm the director of the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network. I'm pleased to have Leslie Mosley joining me on this podcast. She and her husband, Sam, and their two children live in the farmlands of Wisconsin. The village near where they live is Warren's, known for the cranberry bogs farmed in the area, and it's home to the world's largest and maybe the only cranberry festival. The village of 350 people swells to as many as 120,000 during the three-day event held each year in late September. It's also home to Jellystone Park and the Three Bears Resort on Interstate 94, halfway between Minneapolis-St. Paul and Milwaukee. Leslie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. And yeah, Cranfest is actually this weekend. So Yeah, I was going to say, we're recording in mid-September and the festival is this weekend. So yep. it's going to be a busy time in Warren's this weekend. Yeah. Leslie, I first met your husband, Sam, when we were serving on a missions team together in Mexico City a few years ago. He's a pretty tall, skinny guy. He's like six feet, six inches tall. Super nice guy. Patient. He's kind. He's handsome. He's not overbearing. You can't help but like him when you meet him. Not that it matters, but I just wanted to set that up for our listeners. You two seem so well matched because you're five foot 11. You're thin. You're beautiful. You're an engaging woman. How long have the two of you been married now? Almost six years. He is so patient, more patient than I ever would be being married to me. Um, And I say God has a sense of humor with his height because when I had prayed years ago saying, okay, if you want me to be with somebody, here's my list. And as a joke, I kind of threw in, if he could be taller than me, that'd be great. And then two weeks later, he brought Sam into my life. That God, he can be pretty amazing, can't he? Yeah. I've had a chance to see the photos from your wedding day six years ago. Was it in the fall? It was in the fall or summer you got married. I don't know when it was. Uh, we did courthouse in February, and then we had a wedding in June. Beautiful pictures, outdoors, sunflowers, big smiles. It makes me happy just to look at those photos. They're beautiful photos. You know that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And still with yeah. the farm, it feels like it's like a dream. It's nice there. But your life wasn't always full of sunflowers and big smiles. Absolutely not. It's likely best that I prepare our listeners. Most often on this podcast, we talk about leadership and influence with people who are ministers or who are just knocking it out day by day in the workplace. Today, we're going a different direction. I like how you started the conversation you had with a group of women several months ago. In the remarks you sent to me, you wrote this, trigger warning for sexual and domestic abuse. So why is it important to mention that trigger warning? I find this important so that people can mentally prepare themselves knowing it's coming. It it gives them a sense of control over it as well, uh, rather than catching them off guard. And that could possibly throw them into a spiral of awful memories or even a flashback 
that they're not prepared for. We've talked a bit about your story, you and I have. You've indicated you're open to sharing parts of it today. So let me say that neither of us want to use this as a way to call attention to you or to your abusers. Our hope is to open the window to allow people to see and hear about a God who loves them and who is present when it seems impossible to believe that he's there. So maybe this is a good time for us to hear about your story. I am a completely open book. Even with the things that I'm ashamed of, I'm happy to share because it just shows how great he is. And this is 100% about him. There's no way I could have come this far on my own. And I didn't until I gave him my life. For time's sake, too, kind of in a nutshell, my first memory of being groomed by my dad for years of sexual abuse started when I was about four. And then as I grew, I had very few friends. I was very isolated. He made me very much depend on him. My brother and I were never close, and now we're very good friends. He had always said if he and if slash when he and mom divorced, that I would go with him and my brother would go with her. He almost treated our relationship more as a marriage than a father daughter. With the sexual abuse, there was also like complaining about things or talking to me about things that a kid shouldn't have to worry about, if that makes sense. And as I got older, I realized that this this doesn't feel right. This doesn't seem like this is okay. And when he would begin doing things to me, I began telling him, God doesn't want this. And I can't imagine where I would have gotten that from because I wasn't going to church. I didn't have an influence really. My grandma had taken me to mass once in a while, but not often. And I didn't really get anything out of it because I couldn't understand it as a child. But God, I truly believe he spoke directly to my heart in those moments. He told me that this wasn't okay. And he was there with me. And I voiced that. And unfortunately, I also felt guilty, which I think most people do. Um, My dad and I would pray for forgiveness because I thought that I was just as guilty. And he would say it won't happen again. But of course it did. And he said, well, God wanted this to happen because this is how the world was populated. And of course, you know, the scripture does not uh, support that. Even in Lot's case, he was assaulted. It was not God's will. So Um, are you saying that maybe there was a hope that you'd even become pregnant with his child? He actually had a vasectomy. So I think he was pretty confident in that, that, that I couldn't so that he felt he was more able to do whatever he wanted. Right. So, um, but there's there's no been. sense of populating the earth other than in, in his right. depraved yeah. mind. He's saying, yeah, this has been going on for millennia. This is normal. I never even put two and two together. That's such a good point. Yeah, that's so true. So, it's, yeah, no excuses for sure. <laughs> and it's so sad still. So sad. Yeah. Let me ask you, and, and we've talked just briefly about this in the past, and but I want to I want to be careful. I, I don't want to violate anything. And you, if you're uncomfortable, you can say I'm not going to answer that. How how often did this abuse happen? Almost daily. It would be like usually we'd go to the cabin alone on weekends. I remember many times even being just annoyed because I just wanted to go to bed, like even school nights and everything. And he would always come in my room at night. And it was just incredibly risky on his end, considering like it wasn't a very big home and my brother and my mom were just in the same hallway, but 
I was, I would say it was like almost like as, as messed up as it sounds, it was truly like a, like a relationship in that way. Was your mother complicit in this in any way? I've tried talking to her about it. She says that he had kept her high, so she didn't know, but I don't, I don't even care if she knew, I just want her to acknowledge it, but that's okay that that's not happening. Um, you know, so often what happens in homes where there is abuse taking place, even if they don't say, yeah, I knew, or yes, yes, this is okay to me. The -hmm. truth is they find ways to disappear Mm -hmm. or not for one way or another, not be present when the abuse is happening. So it makes it possible to take place and Mm -hmm. then not to have to deal with it notice it up front and say anything about it. Right. I think that she also, I think that's it. And that she wouldn't want to see that. She wouldn't want to believe that. So I have a feeling it was like an avoidance thing because to me, I think, how could you not? But, and she was like, this isn't really mine to say, but she has previous experience with that sort of thing. So I would think that she would know better. And I'm, and I'm not trying to blame or anything, just she had suspected it was him the moment that the police called her and said, your daughter has been sexually assaulted. She had called my dad and said, what did you do? So I feel like on some level, she had known. And our relationship, after he went to prison, our relationship didn't get any better, her and I. So this began when you were four years old and continued pretty regularly until your what age? When I was 15, I was in school and a friend of mine, I'm not sure how, but she had her suspicions. This was probably God again, as I look sure. back and I see him throughout my life. And she got me to confess what was happening. I made her promise not to tell, but of course she was a good friend. So she did. Um, and I was soon called to the office to talk to police. And then he, after processing, he was in prison for seven years. And if I'm correct, and you know more about this than me, probably. The truth is, sexual abuse is not something that just can be hidden among friends. If a person is aware of it, there is a legal requirement that they report it. Though she might not have known that when she was 15 years old, she could obviously see the pain that was happening in your life, and she wanted to do something to help bring that to an end. Yes. Leslie, let me take a moment to remind our listeners that feedback really is important to us. This is a uh, topic that we're not we're not accustomed to addressing this, but we need to know if this is something that's uh, helpful to you. So let us know if you would send me an email at info at doorways.cc. If you'd like to explore more topics like this, or perhaps you have a, a guest that you'd like for us to consider interviewing as well. And we'll work to put that into our, our podcast schedule. My name is Rick Shields. I'm joined on this episode with Leslie Mosley. She's a wife, a mother, a student, and a victim's advocate for sexual abuse and trauma. That's possible because she lived through that trauma herself. So Leslie, we were just talking about the fact that at 15 years old, your father went to prison for this abuse that had been taking place for 11 years at that time. What happened? He went to prison and now you're left, just you and mom and your brother. How did that go? Jason shortly went to go live with, I think, one of his friends. Was he he an older brother or a younger brother? Oh, yeah. Older brother. And honestly, like he, I won't go into details. It's not mine. But like my dad wasn't nice to him either. He was abusive in other ways to him and also to my mom. So it was hard on everybody, honestly. 
And so I do. And I, of course, I give my mom credit for that too. Like it must've been awful. We had a very hot and cold relationship. And then as soon as I turned 18, I was out of there. I, I joined the air force and went active duty just to get out. Unfortunately, I hadn't healed first. So, so, oh, and I forgot to mention that my dad had asked me not to cut myself because not because you, you shouldn't, but because he didn't want to get caught. Basically he said people would ask questions if they saw that. And, um, if anyone found out about our relationship, they wouldn't understand. And I would, he would go to prison and mom would disown me, which obviously didn't happen. But he said that I would go to an orphanage and all this. So yeah, just trying to control the whole narrative. There yeah. wasn't. It seems to me I remember that you told me at one point that your mother even reflected back to you how you were responsible for this difficulty. Tell me about that. My grandma, my dad's mom, had told my mom that I jumped on his back for piggyback rides when I was little, and thankfully, my mom didn't share that. But it seems that at times. There's, she's kind of like a, two different kind of people, but sometimes she seems to be almost seeing me as the other woman. And that when he went to prison, I was, I, I don't appreciate her letting me know how inconvenient that was financially. <laughs> I get it, but maybe I'm not the person to vent to about it. And, and she was saying to you, had you, had this not been reported, your dad wouldn't be in prison we wouldn't be living in this difficult financial, this economic situation. So really it's your fault. I guess. Yeah. You could probably go that way too with that. And how, how did you respond to that? I don't remember. <laughs> I think I just, I was very much, I just went into my shell. I was very dissociated all the time. I was not mentally stable. I just, I think I, I think I had a lot of anger. I remember blowing up at her a lot, probably for like being upset that she didn't protect me. And we, we did fight a lot. And I'm sure I know that I wasn't obviously as a teenage girl, I wasn't already, wasn't the most stable person um, emotionally. So well, you've been traumatized repeatedly since you were four years right. old. Yeah. You came to the point where cutting seemed to be a really good thing. And in fact, it gave you some euphoria mm-hmm. when you were doing some cutting. And that was one way that you could feel good. There mm-hmm. were so many things you didn't feel good about. That was one thing that made you feel good. Now, you know, you're responsible for all of this difficulty. I understand why at 18 years old, you said, I am out of here. I've got to yeah. do anything different than this. Yeah. So you joined the Air Force. And you went to Anchorage, Alaska. You got away, but you took everything with you when you went emotionally, yes. didn't you? <laughs> yep. I I thought that I would be starting new, and I did not. I just, like you said, I drug it all with me. I continued cutting. Within six months of being stationed there, a fellow airman sexually assaulted me. And that was when the program for advocates had only been brand new. And unfortunately... You need an incredible amount of evidence to convict someone with that. So nothing came of it. I wanted to stop cutting because my supervisor had caught me once and brought me to the hospital. So I figured, okay, I'm just going to get a big tattoo piece. That'll be the way to get that same kind of sense. Rather than going to therapy, I, I guess I figured I would go get a tattoo. I ended up dating the artist that I had met and... I mistook his 
fierceful possessiveness as protection. And before that, I had just given myself over to any man that would have me in hopes that in exchange for my body, he would give me love and protection, which obviously doesn't work, (laughs) Um, especially with a bunch of other like 20 some year old uh, men. So James was the first guy that I felt cared about me. But I mistook his, again, I mistook his possessiveness and control over me for caring about me. So a few months in, I actually became pregnant with Amelia and Sam now adopted her. So thankfully, James is not a part of her life. And he had been violent with me before, but I thought that would end once I was pregnant. Unfortunately, it didn't, despite he was happy about the pregnancy, but he had thrown me in a wall and I landed like on my butt on the floor. So I had to go to the emergency room to see that uh, the placenta didn't detach, that she was okay. And because I think I was still in the first trimester then. And Amelia is truly a miracle. And I believe that God gave her to me to give me the like strength to leave because I wasn't going to leave him when he was hurting me. But as soon as she was in danger, I, that's all I needed to leave. And you were able to leave James. You indicated to me that you left active duty and you went to the air national guard. Is that correct? Yep. And so you transferred and, and you did that for a couple of reasons. Explain those reasons. I was told by one of the nurses on base that if I had Amelia back home, then it would be I would be a lot safer and she would be a lot safer from James, which was true. I really had nobody anywhere else, even though I wasn't super close with my immediate family. I at least had people and I've reconnected since with a lot of them and it's been amazing. I came back to my mom for help and she was there and she helped me with Amelia. Then, yeah, I went in the garden found a job and went to school. You did that. And then somebody else came into the picture. Yeah. Then while I was working, I had met my ex-husband who isn't super relevant, but we were together for several years, only married a short time. And we had Isaac together. So now I have a million Isaac. Because he was not as bad as James, I thought he was great. And he said he was a Christian. I'm looking back, I can see he didn't walk that life or lead us in that way. And he was very controlling. And again, I hadn't healed yet. So, and a hard pill to swallow that we must remember is that, like, it's not our fault when people abuse us. However, it's up to us to discontinue that or allow it. So I had allowed him to treat me badly for several years, but then I decided I was done with that and got out of that. And I was single for several years before ever wanting to dive into that again. And that's when I felt moved that weekend that I had drill. And I had uh, expressed earlier a prayer that I had when I said, okay, God, if you want me to be with somebody like this is what he would have to be like. And then that's when Sam came in the picture. Let me ask you this question. So you lived as a child for 11 years in sexual abuse and trauma Mm -hmm. and emotional abuse and and abused in so many ways. 
you turned 18 years old, you moved to Alaska, you were living with a guy who also became very violent. You were pregnant and left him. You came back to Wisconsin, and though you hadn't healed yet, uh, you thought you were doing better, married a guy, and he also became abusive to you. And you could you could see there was evidence of his abuse. I recall you telling me this. Let me ask you this question, Leslie. Where was God in all of this? Um, I used to think that he was nowhere. <laughs> I had forgot to mention earlier that since being a teenager, I was heavily into witchcraft. And I wouldn't say any specific religion, but just paganism in general. I thought, how in the world could he have let this happen? Um, if he was really a good God, if he really loved me, then why do these things happen? And I did not have a good answer for that. I just completely turned my back on him. And I didn't, because of that, I didn't see that he was with me the whole time until after I was saved, I was able to see it. I had married Sam and the first several months were hard because I was very determined to never depend on a man financially or emotionally. And that is not the biblical way to live. So we were in church one Sunday, just like every other week, this came out of nowhere. But ironically, what a beautiful thing of it is that it was on Father's Day. Just like most other Sundays, our pastor ended the sermon with a guided prayer um, for salvation. I was in the hall with Amelia because she had some sensory issues. And I just broke and I, I, I repeated the prayer with him with just tears running down. And like, I think of Paul when I think of this, because the, the only way I can describe it is that the scales fell from my eyes. Like I took sunglasses off and then suddenly it's funny because sanctification can be slow in a lot of ways, but also some things can happen instantly that day forward. Like I had a whole new vision on life. I had a hunger to read my Bible. I couldn't get enough of it. I suddenly just understood things that I couldn't understand before. And I was no longer angry with him. And I realized that he was there the whole time. He was there when he was speaking directly to my heart. If he had not been telling me as a child that he did not want this abuse to happen, I don't know if I would still be here today. And he was there when certain people came into my life planting seeds. He was there bringing Sam to me and his amazing family that are strong Christians. And they brought me to church and which ultimately led me to him. And he was, he was really there the whole time. And he put up with me being angry and practicing with craft and thinking that he wasn't there. And it's, it's just incredible to look back and see that. Leslie, I want to say thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for your vulnerability, but this has been impactful to me. Your story has even more value if it's possible then that we can help someone else that's in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that a person could do that's in an abusive relationship? How can they reach out to get help? Um, if it's immediate and they don't feel safe, I think it does not hurt to call 911. Otherwise, if it's someone in school, they can go to a counselor or a teacher, a trusted adult, they would be able to help them. 
don't be afraid of consequences. Most of the time, abusers will threaten them. Um, if they threaten to kill themselves, that is not on you. And that is not a safe situation. If they, you know, threaten you, then I would definitely seek uh, authorities, whether it be 911 or your local police station. And there are usually shelters in cities and towns that help. I know at least for women, there are and children that they will take women and children that are in violent uh, situations. And I believe it's free to stay there. I know that in Tulsa area, there's a group called the Domestic Violence Intervention Services. Something by a similar name would probably exist in most other cities and towns. Also, I wanted to point out that if you're an adult and you're, you or a friend are involved in a abusive relationship, you can speak with some healthcare provider and they also can help put you in touch with the right people. Mm-hmm. Leslie, let's take a moment and conclude with prayer for people that are finding themselves in these difficult situations or have been in them and now they're on the way out and they're trying to find healing. Maybe we can we can say a prayer for them. Would you lead us? Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to share this testimony. And God, even if it reaches one person, please help people to be able to feel that they are validated, that they are strong enough to seek help, and that whatever happens to them is not their fault. God, please help them know that it's it's not their fault. And please help guide them to whatever resources they need. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed our podcast and will follow us or subscribe so you can be notified when new podcasts are released. And please consider sharing it with a friend. Until next time, this is Rick Shields. And on behalf of the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network, here's my prayer for you. May you have rest when you need it, strength when you want it, and joy when you least expect it. Until next time, may the Lord bless you as you follow after him 